0: Oh, you're beautiful. Thank you so much for serenading me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Beautiful! I, mean, I think the angels of heaven kind of got quiet for a moment. This, this is fantastic. 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 What a wonderful offering. What a wonderful offering to say one of that to share this, this, this moment. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Jesus is still traveling towards Jerusalem. It's on a long journey. Long journey. His journey started with him turning his face to Jerusalem, and the Samaritan village would not receive him. He's still journeying on, and it seems like he's attracted a crowd. Because he turns to the crowd, and, and I think he's wondering about can they hear what he's saying? Do they really understand what he's calling them to? And do we understand that as well? Um, if you've been a teacher before, you might have done something like this, where you know the first day of class, you 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 hand out a course description, a syllabus. That tells the students, the next time you meet, there's a 50-page paper due. <laughs> Which there really isn't. But what you're hoping is that all those ones that really don't want to work, what are they going to do? they uh, got to drop their class. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus turns to this crowd, all these that are following him, and he turns to them and he says, You cannot follow me. You cannot be my disciple if you do not hate your father and your mother. Your spouse. Your child. Can't follow me if you don't do those things. That's assignment number one. And you know, and, and you think about how people would have heard that, going, what? Hate? I mean, these are, these are good Jewish people, and he's telling them that you need to reject your family. And you can't do that. There's no point in following. Huh. Oh, oh, that, that cross thing too, right? Okay, let's make it even harder. Okay? You can't be my disciple unless you take up the cross. Now, they know what that is, right? They're not ignorant of that. They know what a cross is for. The Romans have been using this. And, you know, it's, it's not that the Israelites didn't know about it for the Romans. They knew what crucifixion was. Right? They knew about that. But they saw what the Romans did. The Romans used it to terrorize people. They knew what it was for. And he's saying, oh, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you, this crowd that seems to have gone on the bandwagon here, if you're going to follow me, um, take up your cross. Huh. <coughs> so you want me to hate my mother and father and my spouse and my children? You want me to take up this thing that is a, a form of torture and punishment and execution and and?" And not only that, hey, um, all your possessions, everything. If you don't do those things, go away. And I wonder how people heard that. I wonder if anybody, you know, were kind of wondering, well, what, what are you really talking about? What are you talking about? It would have been great if Jesus, after there was this kind of stunned silence, if Jesus would have been like a good teacher and said, okay, that was your lesson. Any questions? Before moving on, are there any questions? Any questions? See, this is a hard message, I think, for us, as it was for them, because it calls us to sacrifice. It calls us to give more than we possibly think. We can give it sets for us a very high but not impossible standard and this is a hard message for the church and especially for some of us that are more seasoned than others because we've been at this discipleship and following and sacrifice thing for a very long time some of us can honestly say we have given a whole lot to family, to community, to church, to nation, to world. We have been sacrificing. And now that we find ourselves at a point in life where there's just not enough of us to go around, failing health, diminished income, and Jesus wants more. Jesus wants more. And that can be a really hard thing. When life has already taken so much. When you've already given so much. When you, right, and, and a lot of us, you know, I, I think we recognize that church is not necessarily the popular thing to do anymore. Maybe it wasn't so popular before either, but at least everybody went because you're supposed to. And you're the ones who keep coming and keep supporting the ministry of the church. You're the ones who, you could be out doing something else, you can spend your money another way, your time another way, but you keep giving it to the work of God in the world. And then we hear this thing about sacrificing, of giving more, giving more. And that can be a really hard thing for people who have already given so much. So much. But you think about Jesus and his life and what he shows us in his own sacrifice. And you start thinking about what is he actually asking us to do? In one of our epistles, we hear about how Jesus gave up his status in heaven. That his status as God was not something to be grasped, but he gave it up, he became one of us, he became a slave. Gave his life. That's the connoted passage. It's this self-emptying things that Jesus does. That, that he gives up his brightness, God, and becomes one of us. And not just one of us, but gives himself for us. And tells us there is no greater love than to lay down your life for another person. Then there's the scenes where, you know, they they think that Jesus kind of, you know, he's he's a little bit unsteady or unstable or, you know, things, you know, get his family. Oh, his family's outside. Jesus, your your mother and your brothers are here to collect you because um, we we think that you need a little, you need intervention. (laughs) Remember what he says? Who are my brothers and sisters, those who do the will of my Father? And that sounds like he's saying, you know, um, I don't have a family. Like you think I have a family. A different kind of family. He's traveling along and, and they're, they're going, well, um, you know, where are you staying, Jesus? He says the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. He has no home. He has no family. He's given up his right as God. He is giving up things. Giving up things. Then eventually he loses all his friends. They abandon him. He is alone. He cries out on the cross. He feels forsaken, even as God seems to have left him. (laughs) They took his clothes. They left him beaten, nailed to a cross. And the very last thing he does, with the very last thing he has, he breathes his last and he gives up his spirit to his father. You go, boy, is that the thing he's calling me to? Giving up everything? Uh, That's pretty hard. That's pretty hard. Well, thank God I'm not Jesus. That Somebody's done that already. But there is some calling for us to, in our own way and time, to look at that message and to look at the message of this life and, and to follow in some way. Follow in some way. You know, when he died, right, he he didn't come back, right? Okay, isn't that kind of the central point of the faith, right? Right, if he's not resurrected, we have no hope. So yeah, he gave everything, but he came back. And because of that, because of that, because of him giving what he had, he gave life to millions. Gave life to millions. Gives life each day to those who are struggling. To all those millions who came before and all those who came after him that believe in what he did, he has given all of us something we can't do for ourselves. The point is that sacrifice is not just loss. We sometimes might think in what we call zero-sum terms, to give something up means it's just a loss. And we have these sayings like he who dies or she who dies with the most toys wins. It's the orientation of our world, of accumulating things and and building and having more. And and the way of God is to let go of things. But for a reason. For a reason. You see, what Christ shows us is that in letting go of our family ties, when his disciples come to him and say, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you, he promises them, anyone who has done this, We'll have more family than they know. Isn't that kind of true? You've got this family around you because you sacrifice something to be here and be part of this. And that's the way of God. And that's why when you look at sacrifice, it's not simply a loss of something, but it's an incredible gain of something. You sacrifice for the cause of God in the world, And in that, you bless the hungry, and the homeless, and the tired, and the aged, and you sing this wonderful hymn before we hear the gospel proclaimed, and you bless me. Thank you for the thing that you gave. Jesus calls us in our own day and time, in our own way, in our own circumstances, to be people who sacrifice for people who get beyond their immediate family to be able to embrace a larger family, who are able to take up their cross to give their life for the sake of another person, and to share your possessions as best you can to bless other people. Everybody's called to do that in their own way, their own time. An example of this, just one example of the many examples you'll find, of people trying to follow in their own way. In 1894, just a couple years ago, just a couple, I think Turner was there. <laughs> 1894, in Poland, Raymond Kolba was born to a poor family. His father was in the military, and he was thinking about kind of following you know, in that family tradition of being in the military, but it, it said that as a child he has a he had a visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who came to him in a vision and presented him with an option of two crowns, a white crown and a red crown. And the white crown was a crown of a life of holiness, of, of dedicating yourself to the mission of God in the world and a life of holiness. And the red crown was to do, do the same thing, that, that committing yourself to the life of God in the world, but as a martyr, to die for the faith. And he was, he was asked, which, which of these do you choose, if you choose one at all? And he said, I will take both of them. I will take both of them. He experienced loss at an early age. His father was in the Polish military. The Russians had invaded Poland, and his father was part of the Russian military trying to push back the Russian invaders, and, and, and he was killed in, in wartime. Cole was 18. Around that time, he became a monastic, he became a Franciscan. And after four years in a Franciscan community, they made him a priest and he took the name Maximilian. Maximilian Kolb. You know, there was a war that happened, and then there was a war that happened after that one, and and he was in the middle of it. In 1941, he was the member of a monastic community. In February of that year, he was arrested by the German authorities and sent to Auschwitz. His crime was harboring two thousand jews and Poles, hiding them in the monastery those were the brothers and sisters that he had because he looked beyond his own mother and father and spouse and child these were all his family and so he is in a position now of being in a death camp because he is willing to put his life on the line. No greater love is there than to give your life or another. Well, in this camp, they had had this this rule, this punishment, that if anyone tried to escape or did escape, they would execute 10 prisoners for each escaping. Kind of puts a pretty heavy weight on those who are in prison there to, to not to not do this. But people want their freedom. We know that, right? In August of, of that year, um, somebody had escaped and they came to the cabin where this person was from and they picked out ten prisoners who were going to die. Retribution. The way they're going to kill him, they're going to, they're going to lock him in one of the places where they, where they gas people and they're going to just let him starve to death. Death by starvation. There was, there was one of the men that was picked who pleaded, who pleaded that his life be spared because he had a wife and children at home. That's some pretty hopeful thinking there. I'm going to survive this, and one day I'm going to be back with my wife and my children. He pleaded for his life. And Father Kolba heard that. And he went to the authorities and said, Take me. Instead, take me. This guy has a wife and children. Take me. I'm just a priest, I have no family. So they took him, he took his place. What does that sound like? Yeah, talking about taking up the cross and giving your life for the sake of someone else. It's exactly what he's doing. After three weeks had gone by, four out of the ten were still alive, one of them being Father Colvin. That's when the Germans decided they needed that chamber for processing some of their victims and. They killed the remaining four, including Father Colba, by lethal injection. The person he saved, the person whose place he took, lived to be 93 years old. Saved his life. He eventually got out of the camp and, and, and made it back home. Unfortunately, his children had been killed in a bombing raid, but he still had his wife. See, he did what he could do, what he was called to do. In 1982, 1982, Pope John Paul II canonized him. He's a saint. He's a saint of the church. If you go to Westminster Abbey, on the facade of Westminster Abbey, there are 20 statues. These are the 20 martyrs of the 20th century. And you'll find the statue of Father Colvin, along with people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Other people that know what it's like to take up their cross and follow the way of Christ and that it will cost them their lives. But we think of the fruit that's born from that. The example they set for us the life that they give us by inspiring us and telling us that for some of us, this is the way that God calls us to go. Father Colbert is the patron saint of political prisoners. He's the patron saint, interestingly, he's the patron saint of addicts, about people who have been held captive, the patron saint of people who are addicted. He's the patron saint of the pro-life movement. He gives us an example of somebody in their own way, taking those words of Jesus to take up your cross and follow me and doing it in his way, in his day, as best he could. He's now a saint. But you know, he wasn't born that way. He wasn't born that way. He was born into a poor family. Saints aren't born. Saints are made. They're made. (laughs) They're made by trusting in God's word. Trusting in the truth of that not relying on their own strength, but trusting in the truth of God's Word and Knowing that if they follow that they can bring greater life To bless others perhaps giving their own lives sacrificing something of their own for the well-being of another person And so this day we give thanks for the martyrs of the church For blessed saint Maximilian, Colbert. We ask that these saints who see us, who see us, who know of the challenges we face, we ask that those saints would pray for us that we might be saints.